it's okay to let ourselves fail. I kind of put myself like in a situation where I asked, what if this was my daughter? What if she was grown up and she was having the same dilemma that I was having? What would I want to tell her? Would I want her to be doing what I'm doing right now? Just spiraling downward into like all these negative thoughts and just, you know, thinking it so much, I think myself into paralysis or would I encourage her? Would I tell her, do it scared? Would I tell her one day at a time, baby girl? Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we are dedicated to helping professionals of all ages stress less in their job search, earn more in their careers, and figure out what exactly they want to be when they grow up. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach of Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Shanika Roberts to the podcast. Shanika is a fellow career coach, a resume writer, a mompreneur, and the founder of Next Chapter Career Services, LLC. Her work revolves around helping moms overcome the barriers of returning to work, and in today's conversation, we go deep into this topic. Throughout our discussion, we go over the difficulties that mothers face when returning to the workforce. We get into how to set boundaries between family, work, and self-care, how to navigate the dueling emotions of imposter syndrome and mom guilt, and the importance of doing it scared when it comes to putting yourself out there to grow in your career. If you like this episode, be sure to follow Shanika across the web. Leave us a review for this show on iTunes, subscribe for the video versions on YouTube, or share this episode with a friend or colleague who is looking to make a change in their career. And without further ado, here's my convo with Shanika. I have had a, a lot of changes happen with my business. So I, okay. I changed gears a little bit. I, um, I'm now targeting my business towards helping stay at home moms Love it. get on stuck and return back to work. And I'm really loving this new direction that my company's going into. So, yeah, that's awesome. How'd you come to that decision? You know what? It was a combination of things. I think the, the biggest thing was just you know, it was just more authentic to my story. You know, I'm currently a stay-at-home mom to a one-year-old and this is my first kid and I'm learning so much every single day and our lives get pretty chaotic and busy. And, you know, I know a lot of moms are in my shoes who took that break from work and feel very insecure about coming back to work. So I really think that I can understand those challenges and really be authentic in how I talk to these moms and really just help them get back to work and coach them on what they need to be doing. That's wonderful. And I, I really love the way you're setting this up. Maybe we just go right into it. What are some of the differences? Um in the things that, you know, mothers need to consider that maybe uh, are unique to them in the job search process. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've been a stay-at-home mom, you've taken a break from work, and if you're like me, your day is just basically trying to chase the kids around, and you're not thinking about your career. I think the career mindset goes to the back burner, and then at some point when you're at home, and I'm not saying that this happens to everyone, but a lot of moms get that, that gut feeling, like they want to go back to their careers. And for, and I know I've kind of had this happen to me at one point in my stay at home journey where you're out of practice, 
with your industry, right? So all of a sudden, you know, you feel very insecure. Do are my skills up to date? Can I convince a hiring manager to hire me? What about the gap in my resume, right? I'm supposed to create some awesome resume that a hiring manager is going to love. How do I address the gaps in my resume? So I think the stay-at-home mom that's been out of it for a while, who's trying to go back, um, she has to figure out how do I bridge that gap in my resume and how do I communicate my professional brand to a hire manager in a way that they're convinced that I can do the job. Even though I was home with the kids for two years or five years or 10 years. I love that. And when it comes to, so there's a lot that, that needs to be done on the individual side of things. And I definitely want to come back and dig into that more. Um, but what is the sort of perception externally? What, what are companies perceiving when people are trying to come back and when mothers are trying to come back into the workforce? I think one perception that companies may have, and, and it's not all the way accurate, it certainly might not be accurate for everyone, is that they're not sure that moms are up to date, right? For example, if you have a mom that's trying to probably apply for a more um, supervisory or managerial role, well, do you have the skills that you can translate to this position versus someone that's been in the field consistently for the two to five years that you were out? And I think that is not a very accurate perception. I think that hiring managers need to take another look and realize that stay-at-home moms do have a lot to offer and to bring to the table. And when it comes to, you know, skills that are developed while being a stay-at-home mom, I know that there's a, a whole movement going on right now um, about putting motherhood on the resume. I, I've seen some some posts and some, uh, you know, stickers and, and things like that that have been posted on LinkedIn recently. Um, what are your thoughts about like that movement of including it on the resume and including it in your work experience? And, uh, you know, depending on whether you do or don't, I think it's probably a personal choice, but, um, you know, how can those skills be represented? I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. I think that it's okay to include the motherhood experience on your resume, but the amount of detail that you put on there in relation to that will depend on the industry that you are going into. So for example, um, if I'm applying for a caregiver position in the healthcare industry, maybe it's okay for me to talk about those examples of times when I was caring for my kids or caring for someone else in my family, right? But if you're going to another industry or trying to apply for another industry where that might not be um, really a requirement, then you'll want to pivot and talk about something else. I'm a big believer that moms, moms are involved in so many things that they can put on their resume and it doesn't have to be paid. You know, if you're involved in volunteer work or with PTA or maybe you're helping out with Sunday school at church, you know, there are different experiences that you've had within that, you know, time period of being a stay-at-home mom that you can still translate to the resume. So I, I'm all for embracing the gap and finding, you know, the things that you did in the gap that are valuable. 
I think as long as at the end of the day, what you're putting on your resume is speaking to that position and what that hiring manager is looking for, then by all means, go for it. I love that. Yeah, because there is so much that we do that's unpaid that could go on the resume, but people tend to downplay it because they don't feel like it's quote unquote real experience. Um, but it is like, uh, you know, any professional organization you join, any uh, volunteer organization you join, all of this stuff is, is good. And maybe you categorize it under volunteer work or you categorize it under projects or you categorize it under experience if it fits. Um, but it's all incredibly valuable. And the big thing that we're trying to do in the job search is be able to tell good stories, right? When it comes to the interview, be able to communicate things well. Um, so as long as you have a story to go with it, you're going to put yourself in a good place. And I actually always encourage people, mother, mothers included, to create their own things, create their own projects, maybe even like launch an Etsy store if you've been working on stuff. Like any, maybe you want to go into marketing, you launched an Etsy store, you sold a few, um, you know, cool things on Etsy, and now you've got that marketing experience, branding experience, sales experience, you know, fulfillment experience, and so on. Uh, is that kind of, have you seen any of that kind of stuff that really kind of creative, what are some examples of the ways that um, you've communicated value in those uh, transition periods? Yeah, absolutely. And Martin, I love your tip about creating your own opportunities. You know, you don't have to go apply to some job for three weeks just to get that experience. You know, the internet is such a great platform, social media, you know, you look at the YouTube influencers. I mean, that's a perfect example. And a lot of them that I follow are stay at home moms and they are killing it because they created their own opportunities. What I recommend moms do, and not just moms, just job seekers in general, you know, because there are a lot of people who take a break from work for, you know, a thousand different reasons, right? Look at that career that you are trying to get back to. Look at the key elements of that career. And if there's maybe a certain area that you might be lacking proficiency in, then go ahead and take that initiative to build your expertise. And you know what? It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm going to go back to school and get a degree and get a loan. And, you know, you don't have to do that. Sometimes it's honestly as simple as finding some webinars on YouTube or LinkedIn learning. And whether you get a degree at the end of it or not, you can pursue that continuing ed. You know, you can join a professional association. There are a lot of easy and quite frankly, very cost-effective ways to build on that expertise. I love that you brought that up because there's this general sense um, in, in the job seeking world that the next thing I should do is go get more education. Um, I wanna change jobs, I need a new certificate, I need a new education, I wanna move up in my career, I need a master's, I need an XYZ. And I was on a panel last week and they asked about master's degrees. And obviously there's no one simple answer here, right? I'm not one of those people that's just like, school is the worst and it's stupid, goodbye. Like, no, there's a lot of nuance, but I think that there's such an interesting uh, thing that happens in the mind of the job seeker uh, that they don't even fully understand themselves, right? It's sort of subconscious of like, what you're really doing is you're procrastinating 
what you're really doing is you're putting off the job search until after this degree. And I see this because I work with boot camps, right? It's like, oh, after this boot camp, then I'll start applying. Then you graduate the boot camp. Oh, well, maybe I need another certificate. So after the next certificate, I'll start applying. It's like that job search is always going to be waiting for you. So I'm curious, you know, as you've sort of seen things out there, what are what are maybe some real examples of people you've worked with and the ways that they've either pursued education in a proper way or maybe even pursued it in a way that put off some things? What have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen that a whole lot. And I have to be honest, I've even fallen victim to the, you know, I need maybe an extra degree or certificate under my belt. To, and I think what that stems from is just this, um, just this lack of confidence. You feel like, well, what if I'm not good enough? What if I get this job and they realize what a big fraud I am, right? So then education, it becomes this buffer right? So we have to go and we feel like, okay, if I, you know, pay this money and do these classes, then maybe just maybe I'll be good enough to do this job. So I've seen that a lot. And I think even with, you know, stay at home moms, they suffer from that a lot because they've been out of the field, you know, for a long time. Now, granted, I don't think this is a very generalized comment. I think that there are some fields where you will need, you know, to go back to school or to get, you know, that master's degree or that higher education. For example, you know, if I've got to go get major surgery tomorrow, Martin, I want to make sure my surgeon is... That's <laughs> that a good, my surgeon yeah, goes, a good one. Yeah, my surgeon... <laughs> you know, been to medical school and, and, you know, didn't just watch a couple YouTube videos, right? I want to make sure he knows what he's doing, but there are a lot of other fields. And I think entrepreneurship is a big example of where people make it without having the MBA and the business degree. You know, it's just about doing it scared. I'm a big believer of just doing it scared and not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to make a mistake. And then you know what? You learn from that mistake and then you come back and you do better the next time. So I think that's a really great point that you brought up just now, Martin. I love that phrase, doing it scared. What are some examples of how you've helped people uh, put that into practice of doing it scared? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I work with, I've not only worked with moms, I've worked with college students, I've worked with people who've been laid off. And I find with the college students or with people that are early in their career, they feel really, really insecure and almost, you know, they, they see this job and they say, yeah, but I don't know if I should apply for this job. And then here's the thing, you go to school because you're, you're not feeling confident, but even after the degree, the, com the lack of confidence has not gone away. You're now questioning, oh, should I apply for this? Maybe this one's just too advanced for me, right? So I find you just have to really just walk alongside people and just reassure them you have done the training, you have done the education. Let's look at these requirements. Let's look and see what you are comfortable with, what you've actually done, you know, whether it was through an internship, externship, or related experience. And once you go through it bullet by bullet with that person, they see, okay, yes, I have actually done these things. 
And then it's just a matter of encouraging them to do it. Yes, you're going to have thoughts in the back of your mind. Yes, I've done this, but what if I do it and then I like fail, right? Hey, guess what? Your boss, your future boss has probably done stuff and has failed, you know, a couple times or two, you know, it's just a part of, of being human, but we have to have grace for ourselves. We have to, it has to be okay to learn from those mistakes and those challenges. Yeah. And our future boss, while they seem super impressive, wouldn't be anywhere near where they are without the team that actually executed the work too. <laughs> a lot of times the boss isn't, uh, you know, they're, they're taking credit for a lot of things that the team worked on and we think, oh, it's all that person, but it's, it's a team effort. And so you're trying to bring value to the overall team. Um, when it comes to building that confidence side of things, uh, what do you think, what do you typically hear from folks? What, what, what things do they say to you that either straight up just say, I don't have confidence or like indicate that they're struggling with the confidence side of things and how do you address it? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the telltale signs that a job seeker is struggling with that confidence in terms of their ability to perform on the job, you actually kind of see it in their resume in the sense that they want to put everything on the resume everything, like even the thing that they did 20 years ago, they want to put it on the resume. And I find when they don't trust us as coaches and as resume writers, because, you know, we'll typically tell them, you don't need to put everything on the resume, right? Let's keep this tailored to the job. They feel like they have to have everything on the resume to show that they can do all these things. And then maybe just maybe the hiring manager will want to interview them or want to hire them. But Martin, you and I know that hiring managers and recruiters, they barely spend five seconds looking at these things, mm -hmm. right? So the reality is very, very different. So that's actually one way in which I see the lack of self-confidence play out. And then I think in the interview as well, you know, if they do get a chance to make it to the interview and have that interview, it can play out in terms of the way that they sell themselves, or even, you know, if there's a chance to ask that employer about questions, they just want to get out the room. They're just like, nope, I'm good. I don't need to know anything else. I'll hear you next week. Bye. And then they're just rushing to get out. And I personally have also been guilty of this as well. So I think that's another way in which that lack of self-confidence plays out um, in the job search. I like that. because it really brings us into the sort of intersection of the mentality and the tactics, right? Um, if you just go on the internet, every single job search tactic has been written about to death, right? How many articles of the top 10 uh, interview questions exist? <laughs> a, a billion, maybe more, yet I'll still get a message from someone saying, what are the most commonly asked interview questions? And I'll be like, uh, actually someone, someone said, uh, where can I find common interview questions without Googling it? And I was like, why, why wouldn't oh. you Google it? <laughs> I was like, why are we <laughs> avoiding Google? It has all the answers. Um, but I think that just plays back into the emotional side of things, right? Like if we're too overwhelmed, if we're feeling really insecure, we don't want to go to Google and Google it because we think that that's what everyone else is doing. We want like some special hacks some spe and this is why, you know, scammy marketers are like, here's the 
one thing you need to do to become a millionaire and they get everyone's money. But uh, that's a whole different conversation for scammy, scammy <laughs> days. But um, what I'm so curious about is um, as we think about the tactics, and I do want to get into some of the tactics with you. Um, but before we get into the tactics, there's this idea of authenticity that I've been exploring a lot lately. And I feel like it's been getting in people's way because their view of authenticity is to be 100% purely honest about all their insecurities. And, you know, there's a million different ways to, to you know, cut this up, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on authenticity, especially with, you know, mothers getting back into the workforce and what is the right amount of authenticity to share the the proper professional authenticity to bring to the table? Yeah, I think on social media, um, a lot of people are authenticity junkies, right? Because you can't be fake. So, you know, you'll see a, a lot of posts that are in the name of authenticity from, you know, the messy house to what you're having for breakfast, right? And I think in the stay-at-home mom world, I love those posts too. I love authentic posts about how your child embarrassed you in the supermarket. Because <laughs> guess what? My child did the same thing to me last Tuesday and I'm afraid to go back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think authenticity is a great thing, but I think that there needs to be um, some wisdom and discretion, especially when it comes to the job search, because as professionals, we have a professional brand and what we say in our personal social media outlets, you know, it's public information out there, right? A recruiter can Google you and they can find that stuff easily. And even when you think you delete it, for some reason, the forces that be the zeros and the ones there's like, they find it, they find it somehow. Right. So I think job seekers and moms included need to be careful that they're not putting too much out there that could compromise the professional brand right so so for example if i have a mom who wants to be a nurse right she wants to go back she wants to be an rn you know probably posts about you know past patients being real explicit word or you know how you hate people and how people are terrible that's probably not going to play well into your professional brand as a caring nurse that that I want to hire at my hospital right so I think you know you do need to be wise I think that there is a line I think it's okay to be authentic but don't be too authentic in terms of things that will compromise your professional brand so. Yeah. And I like that you said, and you were very specific because you said it multiple times, your professional brand, not your personal brand. Do you see a difference yeah. between the two? I think there is. There definitely is. Um, for example, right? You've got LinkedIn versus Instagram. Granted, you can advertise your professional brand on both, right? But the LinkedIn vibe is definitely more professional. When I think Instagram, professionalism isn't the first thing that comes to mind. I'm thinking about cute selfies and 
I'm walking on the beach, which I am not going to the beach anytime in the future, <laughs> but one day I want to go to the beach and have a really beautiful selfie behind the sunset, right? But LinkedIn, you know, when you think LinkedIn, the first thing that comes to mind is that professionalism. So there, there is a separation, there is a divide. Um, and I believe it's important to, to have a divide in place just so that, you know, there's nothing online that could hurt you in your job search. Mm-hmm. And how does, I think that that plays into identity as well, too, because, you know, as a stay-at-home mom, I would assume you, you've been doing that so all-encompassing, right? It takes so much time, so much energy. It becomes an identity in and of itself, in a way. Um, yes. And one of the things that I try and help people do is n- to not identify too much with their job, because then if they lose it, all the pieces crumble, right? And I'm curious, you know, what is that feeling of identity and motherhood? And how does that all sort of shift either? How does that kind of come together and then shift over time as you go from being a brand new mom to a mom who's wanting to be back in the workforce? Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right, Martin, being a mom I mean, it really, it is an integral part of our identity and it's, it's an identity that changes with the development of your child, right? So, you know, when you think of a newborn, it's sleepless nights and, you know, they need you all the time and, you know, you probably don't feel as free, you know, versus when your child's a lot older and they're in school uh, or, you know, when they're a teenager and they're like, mom, you don't kiss me in front of my friends. I'll see you in eight hours. You know, it, it definitely changes over time. And for me and my own experience, like my child, you know, my child's a year, so she still needs me a whole lot. So a lot of my identity is very tied to keeping her happy, <laughs> you know, and being with her um, versus a mom that has older kids that is more independent, right? Her identity is going to change. And there may be more cracks in that identity where she is more yearning for work, yearning to go back to the career full-time. Not that moms at my stage don't want to work. There are plenty of moms who are working moms who have very young children, but you know, it all looks different. You have to have different plans in place. You know, maybe for some moms it's, I want to work, but I don't want to work full-time yet because my child um, is in this development. So it does shift over time. Did I answer your question? Absolutely. Well, and I want to and I want to keep digging into that, right? Because it does look different for everyone. And going back to the social media discussion, you know, you you see so much advice out there, and you see so many people doing it so many different ways, and everyone seems to be quote unquote doing it perfect. If you just follow their Instagram or something like that, right? And there was a a piece of advice or an article written, I'm not sure how outdated this might be, but it was like, um, I think it was by Sheryl Sandberg or someone about like, you can't have it all. You, ha- you have to choose some priorities here and there, right? And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, there's different, different people need different amounts of time. Different people need different kinds of work. Some folks, some others want part-time, some want full-time, some want in-person, some want remote. So I'm just kind of curious, what has been your experience of like the variety that's out there? Maybe we can touch on a few different examples of 
um, people's journeys to normalize uh, the multitude of ways that people re-engage with work after motherhood? What have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. I think remote is very popular, especially with the pandemic. I mean, remote became popular with a lot of people, not just moms, but moms, you know, a lot of them, they have this extra challenge or some extra anxiety about putting their children in daycare at this point. Some moms are, some moms aren't ready because, you know, we're still in the pandemic and we're still trying to figure everything out. So remote has definitely been very popular. I think part-time is very popular. For example, I have a friend, you know, she was full-time up until she had her son um, eight months ago, and she just prefers part-time. She'll go to work in person, but she's only going to do it two days a week for three hours a piece, right? And then there's some moms, by circumstance, they have to work full-time, whether that's full-time remote um, or full-time where they have to go back to the office. They have to, um, just due to circumstance, they have to. And so they need to have a plan where they have childcare set up or they have the village, right? Because you've heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. Martin, it really does take yeah. a village to raise a child. Just letting you know. <laughs> um, it, it does. So I've seen a little bit of, it, of all of it, Martin, to be honest. And it really just depends on that mom, you know, her needs and her life. Yeah, and it's it's definitely an individual journey. And I think that that's where, you know, as we get consumed by all these articles, right? Because the first thing someone's going to do when they want to go back to work is they're going to start Googling how, you know, what should I start thinking about? Or what should I start doing? Or what education should I start getting, right? And there's a lot of different advice out there. And even when you work with a coach, right, you're getting a very specific coach's perspective on things, which is why I think it's so cool that you're finding your niche that fits with your story and fits with your experiences. Um, and, you know, there's so much that plays into our ability to be effective in the job search. Um, imposter syndrome, confidence, um, even just being able to reach out to people and say like, I don't know what I'm doing, but do you have any advice? Like that level of that is authenticity, but it's also productive authenticity, right? And so I'm always so curious about the, the emotional blockers that get in the way for folks. And uh, in the research that I've done on you know parents going back to work, there tends to be a lot of different pressures that are in addition to what a normal job seeker would be looking for, right? Or a typical job seeker yeah. would be looking for. There's financial pressures, there's um, emotional things like guilt and separation anxieties and things like that. So uh, do you have any insights into, let's lean into the guilt side of things. Cause I think that that's one of those topics. Mom that, guilt. Yeah, it's always coming Mom up in guilt. the articles. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on it? And what's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think mom guilt is a very big issue for the job seekers that I want to champion and that I want to help. And I think that just stems from a lot of pressure in society where, you know, there's just, just a lot of pressure, I think, just put on moms on many different levels, you know, from, you know, you have to bounce back, right? So bounce back physically, right? And then with the other side, it's the mom guilt where, you know, 
oh, you want to go back to work. You don't want to take care of your child. It's almost like you're villainized for, for wanting it all and, and not wanting to just be home with your child full time. Granted, there are moms that want to do that, who do that. And I think that's amazing. But I don't think that has to be the only path. And I don't think a mom should be shamed by society for wanting to go back to work because trust me, she's dealing with her own internal battle of mom guilt. You know, after I had my daughter, especially um, when she was just a few months old, I had the mom guilt all the time where, you know, I didn't even want to, I felt guilty about even leaving the house for an hour, Martin, to go to the gym or to go for a walk because I wanted to be alone, right? But then you think, is it okay to want to be alone? Like, that means you don't want to be with your child. Oh my God, you're such a bad mom, right? I think also very tied to mom guilt is just this feeling that moms have that, you know, no one else can do it the way I can, right? So, you know, dad can't do it the way that I can. I don't know if I should really go out for too long because something might go wrong and dad won't be able to handle it and I'll need to come home and I'll need to deal with it, right? Or, you know, with daycare is like, oh, I don't know if I can trust daycare. I know they have good Google reviews, but you know, they're, they're probably just not going to do it the way I want to do it. So then, so then they they say, okay, well, I can't go back to work because, you know, it's all in their head, right? That they have to be there. Like everything's going to fall apart if they're not there 24 seven. So I, I think mom guilt is one of the biggest challenges that um, a lot of stay-at-home moms face when they go back to work. And I'm just hoping that through working with me and with businesses like mine, you know, we can normalize the fact that it, that it is okay. It's okay to want to have a career, to go back to work, to contribute to society, to use your gifts and talents. And guess what? Your kid's going to be okay. You can <laughs> still, you know, you can still be a mom. Being a professional doesn't take away from being a mother. You're still going to be you're still a mom 24 seven, you're still going to be there for your child when they need you. So, so I just want to spread the message that it's okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what the the typical thing is, right? Your parents might be in their 70s or 80s, but you're still their kid, right? Like that's, like, you're I always, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so it's, um, it, it really does play. And it, it's interesting to me how that split mind can form, right? And this happens to, to so many different professionals. But on the one hand, if I'm not there to do everything, and I can't, I can't delegate anything because it won't get done as well as I can get it done, um, and everything will fall apart if I'm not there, Meanwhile, at the same time, I don't have enough experience. I'm not, I have a whole bunch of imposter syndrome. Like it's, it's amazing though. We, we can both at the same time feel like I'm so good at what I do that the house would fall apart without me. And I'm mm -hmm. not good enough for this. Like that, that split is so real. I think that that's something that a lot of people experience and trying to find the reality between the two, right? That maybe your hands don't need to be in everything at home and things might still work fine. And maybe you don't need to be, uh, you know, so negative about yourself and your skill set because you do have a lot of the talents and skills that are 
capable for that role that you're doing. Do you have any other thoughts or things to add on that sort of split mindedness? Yeah, absolutely. First, I, I just think it's just amazing. The mind just an amazing thing how, like you said, imposter syndrome, mom guilt can just coexist at the same time, right? And I think it's very important to strike the middle ground. And one of the best tip that I can give a mom for striking the middle ground is you just got to do it scared. You just got to pick one thing and just do it scared. So for example, I think the first thing you have to do is address the mom guilt, okay? Because you're not going to go pursue that career and work towards, you know, building your expertise um, if you don't feel like it's okay to do that, right? So maybe it's something as simple as, you know what? I'm going to go out for coffee for two hours this weekend and I'm not texting dad. I'm not going to ask anything. I don't care if, if, you know, she sets the house on fire, dad's going to deal with it. Right. And you just do that one thing. And while you're walking out the house and yes, you are going to have those thoughts in your head saying, I don't know if I should be doing this. Then you're going to respond with another thought, a counter thought that says, yes, I can. And yes, I will. And it's going to feel really awkward, but guess what? I'm getting in the car and I'm going to do it anyway. And you just do one little thing at a time. And the more you do it, the more confidence you will build. And that mom guilt will get smaller and smaller. And then with the imposter syndrome side, because we have to deal with that as well. You know, honestly, I think it's just a really good reminder to let us know that every not not everyone's perfect no one's perfect the people that we follow on social media that we admire all the big business moguls you know everyone with the little blue check mark behind their name on instagram guess what they're people too and they mess up all the time and and it's okay it's okay to let ourselves fail i what i do personally when i have a challenge kind of like this in my head i kind of put myself like in a situation where I ask, what if this was my daughter? What if she was grown up and she was having the same dilemma that I was having? What would I want to tell her? Would I want her to be doing what I'm doing right now, just spiraling downward into like all these negative thoughts and just, you know, thinking it so much, I think myself into paralysis or would I encourage her? Would I tell her, do it scared? Would I tell her one day at a time, baby girl? I'm going to do option B because I don't want my child to, to experience that paralysis. So that might be honestly the best tip I can give for the mamas, the dadas, everyone out there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Cause it really, it plays into so much that um, exists in the world of psychotherapy too, right? Like they always talk about how we should treat ourselves. You know, we always say treat others as you'd like to be treated. It's like, how about you treat yourself the way you would treat someone else. Like uh, there was this great um, story that came out years ago about how uh, people are more likely, statistically more likely to give their pets the medicine that their pets need to like overcome an illness or something than they would give themselves. Like people are much worse at taking the medicine the doctor prescribes them than they are the medicine the vet prescribes their dog. And so um, there's this sort of weird, weird thing that happens in, in our brains where we feel like I should treat everyone else amazing, but I should really be hard on myself. 
And in a way, we should treat ourselves the way we would treat a best friend or a, a sibling or, a, a, you know, our, our daughter or son or something like that. And it really does play into this idea, what you're hitting on is exposure therapy, right? The first time you go get that coffee, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. You might be overwhelmed with a lot of things going on. But the, if you set up every Tuesday, I go out for coffee, then it's going to be normal. It's going to normalize. And I think that's a really big thing that we're talking about here, which is normalizing these processes, right? The first time you network with someone, it's scary, but the 150th time it's normal. My first podcast, terrifying. Today, normal, you know, like these things get easier over time. And I think that it's really cool that you, you called that out. Are there any other areas of motherhood and being a working mom um, that get easier over time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I'll start by saying another struggle of ours. And, and I know for me personally, this has been a big struggle because my kiddo's so young is I just don't feel there's enough hours in the day. <laughs> time oh, yeah. management, right? Um, you know, like, and to the point that you were making earlier as moms, you know, you're trying to take care of everybody else. And then before you know, it, it's the end of the day and you just don't feel like you've had enough time to, you know, maybe work on your job search or, you know, watch that webinar or work on yourself or just other personal things that mean a lot to you. Like, I don't know, painting your nails, right? Um, I think over time, it just starts, you know, by identifying maybe just one hour. I'm just one hour. This is my hour. And I am going to communicate that hour to my spouse, my partner, my kids. Don't bother me during this hour, right? <laughs> And you just start with the one and then over time you get better at that time management process because, you know, whether it's me or the head of Starbucks, we all get 24 hours in one day. And some people, you know, even though they have a lot going on, they're very efficient with their time and they get a lot accomplished with their time. And I think that just comes with practicing time management over time. There's a, a business coach, like she talks about time management a lot. And I, I just, I love a lot of her stuff. And she says, you know, it's all about doing the right thing at the right time. So challenging those mindset beliefs about, you know, effective time management or being productive. It's about, you have to be doing 10 things in one day and you spend the same amount of time on each of the things, you know, that's not it at all. It's just about doing the right thing at the right time. And maybe it's just one thing or just one hour, you know, just prioritizing what that thing, that important thing is for you. I love that you're hitting on the schedule stuff too, because that has been coming up a lot lately in my coaching where people are like, yeah, yeah, I hear everything you're saying, Martin, and I know I should be doing all this stuff, but there's just not enough time in the day. Help me organize my day. So we sit down and we do it. And uh, every single person, when I ask them to just write out their day, We'll write out their ideal day, right? I'm going to wake up at 630. I'm going to go to the gym for this exact amount of time. I'm going to eat from this. I'm going to cook for myself in the morning. I'm going to cook for myself at lunch. I'm going to cook for myself at dinner. I'm going to get to bed at a certain time. And I'm like, this wow. is all, yeah, this is all well and good. I did this with someone uh, a week and a half ago. And uh, by the end of it, they had a 13 hour work day. And like, God knows what else. And I'm like, when do you sleep in here? When, when do you take a, you know, when do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> like, uh, and, and we looked at it. And so what I like to do is just get that all on paper, right? It's really good to get it all mm -hmm. on paper. 
so you have your aspirations written down. But then we got to start dealing with reality because what I tend to see is people compare themselves to a false aspiration or a, an, yeah. an unattainable goal, right? If I said, I'm going to have a six pack in the next six weeks, that's just not going to happen. So maybe I shouldn't hold myself to that standard, but to go for a walk every day, that's a possibility. So um, what I do is I say, here's the ideal. Now let's look at the real. And once you have the real, you can contend with it, right? And the real is you don't have full control over when your kids are going to be making noise and waking you up in the middle of the night, or you don't have control over a hundred other things that are going on. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing up the scheduling side of things. Is there anything on the scheduling side that has helped you, whether using calendars or leaning into like other types of tools? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and whatever platform you use to do this, I think having it written, have your schedule written. I think that's very important. And in terms of times on your schedule where you want to work on your job search or work on something that's important to you, figure out what, what is your most productive time of day. For me, I ain't getting nothing done until that baby is asleep or she is done for the day and she is wiped out, right? So for some people, you know, maybe they're most productive at night. So there's certain important things that you've prioritized that you're going to work at at night. Some people, they can do the wake up. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. before everybody else. And I'm going to put in a good two hours of work. I'm not that person personally, but guess what, Martin? There is someone who is that person, okay? So I think figuring out, you know, what times of day you're productive writing out a schedule that's realistic, having it written and put up on the wall is very, very important. And then what I do personally um, with my schedule, I write an agenda like, okay, I got these two hours free. Let me write an agenda on what I can do in these two hours. And like you said, just be realistic with it. I'm not writing 10 things, Martin, because I cannot do 10 things in two hours. I can do two things in two hours, and maybe if I can do a third in the last 15 minutes, then hip, hip, hooray, but I'm going to be realistic. <laughs> if anything, maybe, you know, with your um, agenda, you know, kind of start small. And then if you can fit something else in there, you know, you can do it kind of like, like in business, like where you over deliver, you know, under like promise you and over deliver. Yeah. Yes. Under promise and over deliver with your schedule, if anything else. But if you can't, that's okay. Just write an agenda that's realistic to you. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, also write down the things you do accomplish. I think so often I'll be talking to people and they'll be like, I got nothing done today. I'm like, all right, walk me through it hour by hour. Oh, wait a second. No, now that I'm looking at it, I got a few things done today, right? We don't even remember. Like we're always focused on what we're not doing versus what we've done. And uh, mm -hmm. just to take that calendar example and, and expand it into the to-do list, if, if you need to in the morning, if you need to make the 30 line to-do list just to get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper, go for it. But then put that to the side and create, make your ideal to-do list and then make your real to-do list. And the real one should have like max three things, I think. Like <laughs> that's just, that's just yeah. reality. Um, when it comes to getting that hour, I want to come back around to that idea. Um, I always get the pushback on it of, yeah, 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 I know that, but, 
right? And there's any number of things that are behind the butt, right? But I think that this plays into um, a skill. It is a skill that is really hard to develop, which is boundary setting. Um, I think people have difficulty with this in all aspects of life, but especially with their careers, especially working remote, the boundary between when you start work and when you end work is very fluid these days. The boundary between when you're on and when you're off is, is very fluid. Um, you know, we got people working until they just drift to sleep and then waking up with their phone in their hands, right? So how have you approached setting boundaries, both just in your career generally and as a mother? What, what have been the approaches you've taken? And then what has been the pushback? I think that that's a really interesting one. Have you had to learn how to negotiate and things like that through the process? For me personally, I'm still a work on process with the boundaries because I think you're right, you know, just the nature of being a stay-at-home mom, it is very easy for the boundaries to be blurred. And even with, you know, professionals who are working from home, your workspace is your home space, right? So it's just very easy for it to be blurred. So I think that's where you have to be very, very intentional about even setting up a physical boundary. So for example, for me, work stuff, it is just not happening in my bedroom. It is not, it is not. Bedroom is where I watch Netflix and pass out after a very, very <laughs> long day. Okay. So, you know, having maybe just a physical place, right. That is in your home. Like this is where work happens and it's not happening on the couch in the living room or in the bedroom or wherever that place is for that person, right? And then, I mean, this might sound like a very silly idea, but I know it's helped me and I know it's helped a lot of other people. Not doing work in your pajamas, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, putting on, um, just changing your outfit and brushing your hair. That, that is actually another example of boundary setting because, you know, when I'm in my pajamas, I'm not, I'm not doing work. I'm watching Netflix. I'm relaxing. I'm sleeping for however long I can sleep before my child wakes up. So that is another practical way in which you can set boundaries. Um, I think in terms of the other part of your question, which was the pushback on boundaries is Sometimes when people have very easy access to you, you know, they will ask you to do things outside of, of the hour, you know, or outside of whatever your ideal time is. So, so for example, with work people, you know, you're working from home, well, you know, it's 7 p.m. and your boss might send you an email, like, and it's so easy to reach you because, you know, they can just email you and you get it in like five seconds because that's how the internet works. Um, and then even with moms and, you know, with kids, for example, it's like, well, my kid kind of lives with me. So it's very hard to do alone time sometimes because my kid can like find me. She, she comes looking for me, Martin. She does. <laughs> um, she does. So I think that's another area where you really have to be intentional when, when it's very, it would be very easy to access you just being, you know, extra intentional about it like whether it's taking the phone off having a conversation um, with dad or with your child if they're old enough to understand 
mommy's busy from this time to this time. If you need something, you need to talk to dad or grandma or whoever that person is. So, I mean, it, being home, it's just, it's, it's very easy for the boundaries to be blurred. You just to be very intentional with actions, consistent actions. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to set a boundary, you have to hold yourself to it, right? Because if you show that yeah. you'll break the boundary, people will, even kids, they latch on, right? They know, oh, well, yeah. that's not a real boundary. So I'm going to break that every day, right? <laughs> um, so that's really great advice. And I love how you phrased that. You said uh, your workspace is your home space. It was actually something that I personally uh, ran into over the pandemic. Uh, my partner and I, we live in a one bedroom and she you know, she's working in the living room, I'm working in the bedroom. And at one point, we stopped and we're like, wait a second, we're not working from home, we're living at work. <laughs> this is this is a totally <laughs> different uh, flip that just happened. And so now I've got an office and, you know, a whole bunch of different things uh, shifted. But it is, I, I do think those physical boundaries that you mentioned are really important. And, and when you don't have physical boundaries, having um, well-stated, well-understood boundaries um, with people in your life is really good so that you can make that time. And then I think even digitally, you know, get a, get a website blocker, turn off the ability to go to your Gmail at 9 p.m. or something like that, or to check certain websites at certain times. And I think those are all really, really helpful tips. I appreciate you sharing those. Um, as we sort of get towards the end of our conversation here, there's there's a bit of a storytelling element that we touched on really early on that I wanted to come back around to of reframing motherhood in the context of the job search. So the typical story is that, that I've heard people say going through their heads is, I haven't been working and now I'm getting back to work. And I feel like that framing, kind of like saying, I don't have a job and I want a job. I try to get people to start their own freelance businesses so that they can go from, instead of being an unemployed identity, they're a self-employed identity. It's a little easier to work with, right? Um, but there is this sort of uh, reframing and storytelling aspect that needs to happen in order to get ourselves to a more confident place. And I'm curious, how do you help people reframe that story for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And I just love how you worded that just now about, you know, I don't have a job and I'm looking for a job, but that's, that's not the case with the mom, you know, first things first, being a mom, it's, it is a job, you know, it's one of the toughest jobs out there that I'm convinced, but it is a job. And then even within that job, you are having experiences where you're able to demonstrate a range of skills. So it all just starts with a conversation of really just diving into, you know, what your day looks like and what things are you involved with? I remember one time I was coaching um, this lady. She wanted to apply for um, a job at a daycare center. And, you know, she proceeded to tell me that, you know, she didn't, she wasn't sure she'd get the job because she'd been a stay-at-home mom for the last four years. But we talked about her story, talked about the different experiences that she had during those three to four years. And, you know, I learned that she taught at her kids Sunday school, right? 
but she didn't think that mattered because it wasn't paid and her child was in the class and and you know so I think moms have a lot of experiences like that where because it's not paid or because my child's a part of it or because it's it's related to my role as parent that it's not valid so you know I think we need to just start encouraging each other and just looking at those things that we're doing because I guarantee you you know being a stay-at-home mom, it's more than just cooking meals and changing diapers and doing 50 loads of laundry a week. Trust me, you are doing other <laughs> things where you are a problem solver using your skills to solve problems and to help people and to make your household run smoothly and to help your community, you know, whether it's paid or not. And also too, like just to reiterate what in our conversation you brought up earlier about creating your opportunities, experiences, creating that Etsy store, starting that blog about, you know, your industry so that you can demonstrate your expertise, that you could even put that on your resume or on your LinkedIn profile. And then a hire manager is like, wow, like, you know, she's written these articles on this content. So there's a lot out there. And I hope the stay-at-home mamas are definitely encouraged by hearing this. I love that. And one last question as we wrap up today, if you, what is one piece of advice that you would give to an expecting mother who is just about to go on maternity leave? What would you say to them? Oh, that, that is a great question, Martin. Um, my first, my first piece of advice would be to be kind to yourself. Just take it day by day. If you, go, if you go back to work at the end of those three months, that's, that's awesome. But if you decide that you need a longer time, don't feel like you're going to be lost or left behind. You are still that person professionally and you can definitely make it back. I love it. And how can folks find you if they want to follow what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website. It's www www.nextchaptercareerservicesllc.com. And if you go now on my homepage, I actually recently uploaded a free guide. It's three ways back to work for the stay-at-home mom. And it's so interesting that we had this conversation today because some of the things we talked about, like time management, it's actually in that guide. So I've got a couple tips for, for my mamas. And I am also at shani.nextchapter on Instagram. I put a lot of stuff over there and, and that'd be a great place to connect with me as well. So fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. This yeah. is just eye-opening and I think it's something I'm still learning about. So it's, I really appreciate you sharing these insights and, uh, and helping so many people out there. Yeah, thank you so much for having, this was a lot of fun. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. 
Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.